Okay, so this morning, we shall start in the first epistle of the Apostle Peter. This morning, basically, is what we will be doing, is looking at verse 1 and doing some introduction. And then if things really go right, we will get into verse 2. There are, these first two verses are just dripping with theology. There is so much in them. Dripping with Calvinism. And I mean dripping. So it may take a it may take a couple of weeks just to get through the first two verses. But we will probably pick the pace up a little bit after that. Okay. <clears throat> Any questions so far on First Peter? <laughs> All right. Alright, I'm gonna read the first two verses. I'm going to tell you beforehand that the word elect or chosen appears in different places in these first two verses. It can be in either verse 1 or verse 2. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and the English Standard Version has the exact word order of the Greek. So I'm going to read it to you out of the English Standard. <clears throat> this is probably the most accurate uh, translation of these two verses that we have. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Okay, <clears throat> so, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this guy's name right, but he has a good introductory remark of this letter. Celsus Speak, S-P-I-C-Q. He makes this following statement. He says the first epistle of St. Peter the most condensed New Testament resume of the Christian faith and of the conduct that it inspires is a model of a pastoral letter. So this is a model of a pastoral letter. Peter is writing a pastoral letter to these recipients that we just named. And I want to read a quote from... Edmund Clowney, who I think he has passed on now. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. But he was a professor of practical theology, a former president of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And he has a commentary, the message of First Peter. And he makes this introductory comment, and he picks up, it seems like, on what Spick says. He says, pastoral. Peter's letter is surely that. The apostle seeks to encourage and reassure Christian churches in Asia Minor as the stormy seasons of persecution begin. Those storms rage on today. And this was written, I think, in 2002. Rage on today. In India, where a Hindu mob destroys a Christian church built at great sacrifice in the poorest slum of Bombay. In many communist lands, where to confess Christ brings the loss of educational privileges, 
and job opportunities and often results in imprisonment. In much of the English-speaking world, such threats may seem distant. Perhaps we fail to read the signs of the times. No Christian avoids suffering, however, and no true Christian escapes a measure of suffering for Christ's sake. Peter speaks to us all when he tells of suffering now and glory to come. So the persecution, obviously, common sense, logically, is closer now than when Dr. Clowney wrote those words. And we have signs that it is really close. We're suffering a little bit now. We're not suffering like Christians do in some countries, but we need to be ready. Need to be ready. Because what Peter says in this epistle is also applicable to us. It's God's eternal, unchanging word. Jesus has promised that if they persecuted him, they're going to persecute us. The only question is, to what extent are we going to be persecuted? And we need to be ready because if you're not building your house on the rock, then it's going to fall. You're building your house on the sand when the storms come. It's going to fall with a great crash. So we need to, while we have times of relative peace, get ourselves ready for any persecutions that may be coming. All right, on your notes here. One of the major themes, perhaps the major theme of the epistle, is how Christians are to behave in the midst of a hostile, persecuting world. So Jesus has promised persecution, and we will get it to some measure. All right, the first thing Peter does is to establish his authorship and authority. And we are going to start over here with Delaney. And I'm going to sign right down the row verses. Delaney, Matthew 4, 14 through 20. And then John 21, 15 through 17. Matthew 16, 13 through 19. Uh, Kim, Matthew 17, 1 through 2. And I'll, I'll tell y'all when to read. All right. So the opening words of this is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So the first thing Peter does is establish his authorship and authority. Authorship and authority. You'd be surprised at the higher critics, who, yeah, they may be scholars, but they're certainly not Christians. They, they question the fact that Peter wrote this, even though in the English and the Greek, the first word is Peter. All right, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. What is an apostle? Who knows what an apostle is? Is this Ron Carpenter who used to be out here at the World Redemption Center? Is he an apostle? He says he is. The messenger. The people says says he is. They call him apostle. 
Okay, so what is an apostle? You said sent. Yeah, one who's sent by God. Directly like Christ. What's that? Sent directly like Christ. In the, uh, yeah, in Peter's case, sent directly by Christ. According to Kittle's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, an apostle is an official representative who was appointed and authorized by the one sending. So, Peter is a representative who was appointed and authorized by Jesus Christ. And we're going to read some passages to show that. So, if Jesus personally does not send you, then guess what? You are not an apostle. I don't care how much you have your congregational congregation fooled. You are not an apostle. We have no apostles living now. All right. Let's turn to Matthew 4, 14 through 20. And we will have that read. Now, that's what I'm trying to do here is show you the qualifications that Peter has. We've established the fact that he's an apostle, that he has the authority, and let's see how well he is qualified to tell us what to do. Matthew 4, 14 through 20. Okay. All right, hold on just a second. All right, so this is where Jesus starts his ministry. He says, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, and then what happens? And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their net and followed him. Okay. So we see Matthew, we see the Lord calling Matt, uh, Peter there. So um, he's called right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So he's there from the very beginning when Jesus began to preach and teach. Okay, and then if we turn to John 21, 15 through 17, we will have that read. Okay. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. 
All right, so we see that he is commissioned to take care of the Lord's sheep. Um, he was introduced to John to him in John <coughs> chapter 1. I didn't have anybody to read this, but I'll read that. Back in John chapter 1, verse 42, we see him being introduced. He says, He brought him, that is Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. That, that would have happened probably right before he was called. So we see he, has, he meets him, he has a call, he has a commission. All right, let's turn over now. All right, uh, so he was with Jesus this whole ministry, including his post-resurrection 40 days. So if you ask me, no mere human being could be more familiar with Jesus than the Apostle Peter. He was with him the whole time. All right, now, let's look at Matthew 16, 13. Through 19. And we'll go ahead. Yes. Okay. Uh, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah." or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee, unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. All right. This makes Peter even more impressive. Peter makes the confession that Jesus is the Christ. And of course he could only do that because the Holy Spirit revealed that to him. And then Jesus says he will build his church on Peter's confession. And he will also give Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the as the King James Version shows um, our Modern English doesn't show this, but when he says uh, to Peter that I will give you the keys of the kingdom, it's in the singular. Now, Peter is, is representative of the apostles, so all the apostles have the keys to the kingdom. But he says, Peter, on you, singular, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. That's being pretty important. So he has keys to the kingdom of heaven. And remember in Acts chapter 2, who is it that gets up and preaches? Peter. To the multitude. Peter. In John chapter 10, who preaches to Cornelius and some Gentiles? Peter. Who? Yeah, that's, that's a good guess. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah. So Peter opens the door in Acts chapter 2 with the keys of the kingdom, and he opens the door with the keys of the kingdom again 
in chapter 10. So the prominence of Peter in the spread of the gospel. Okay. Um, so, did I, did I assign somebody 17, 1 and 2? Yes, okay. All right, let's, Matthew 17, 1 and 2. And after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John his brother and brought them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his clothes were as white as the light. All right, so he's in the inner circle. He, James, and John are the three that's in the inner circle. All right, in your notes, I'm, I may have skipped this. Peter preached the first sermon in the New Covenant in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts 10.34, he carried the message of Christ to the Gentiles. Okay, that's actually the next one. Um, now, Matthew 17, 1 and 2, like I said, this shows that Peter witnesses the transfiguration and Peter is in the inner circle, he, James, and John. Very close to Christ. If anybody's ever qualified to write scripture, seems like it would be Peter. Now, he had his moments, right? but he was ever so familiar with Jesus Christ. He'd been with him the whole time. So he preaches the first sermon in the New Covenant and then he carries the message of Christ to the Gentiles also. All right, any questions, comments on that? Okay. Now, moving back to 1 Peter. Says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Um, but then, in the last part of the letter, he says, "Those from Babylon greet you." Uh, so he says the letter was written from Babylon. Now Peter never was in Babylon. This is probably Rome. This is most likely Rome, which seems to be considered the current Babylon. If we look at Revelation 16, 19, the Apostle John says, the great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God rem remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of his fury and his wrath. And then in 17.4, uh, we read, we find verse 4 here. Uh, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery. Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And um, 
18.2 uh, says, And called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt of every unclean bird, for every unclean and detestable beast. Um, anyway, it's referred to as a city as on seven hills. Um, so it's possible it was actually written from Jerusalem, or it's possible it was written from Rome. Commentators seem to think it was Rome. But it wasn't written from the actual physical location of Babylon. All right. Now, the next thing that I want to cover is this, and this will probably be it for today. All right, in your notes, in effect, what we are reading in 1 Peter is Christ interpreting the redeeming work of Christ. Christ is interpreting his own redeeming work. All right, let's continue going down the line with Elaine. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. And then let's have 1 John 14, and I'll give you selected verses out of that. And then Michelle, Ephesians 2, 20. All right, so what your notes say is, in effect, we are reading in 1 Peter, we are reading what, that Christ interpreting the redeeming work of Christ. Now, prior to the incarnation, Christ prophesies of his earthly redeeming work. So let's have 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 read. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who, prophes who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. All right, in them was the Spirit of Christ indicating the works of Christ, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So Christ was in the prophet's prophesying of the work that he was going to do while during his earthly ministry. All right, so prior to the incarnation, Christ prophesies of his earthly redeeming work. Now in the Gospels, Jesus performs this redeeming work that he prophesied in the Old Testament. He actually performs what he prophesied. And if we look in John chapter 14... Uh, let's have John fourteen twenty six read. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Oh, sorry, backwards. Uh, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Okay. You said 24. Um, no, actually, I said 26. Oh. I think. That's what I wanted to say. Sorry. 1426. Okay. 
But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance, all that I have said to you. All right. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be sent. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. And he's going to tell you everything that I have said. He's going to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. All right, let's skip over a few verses, and you still read for us, Alanda. Let's skip over to um, 15, 26 through 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. All right, another indication that Jesus himself, through the Holy Spirit, is going to interpret what he has done on earth. And also, let's have 16, 13, and 14 read. Alanda, please. Okay. And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All right? Now, so, he will be interpreting his own works to the apostles by the Holy Spirit. All right, let's have Ephesians 2.20 read. I'm going to back up. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Okay. So, the house of God is built uh, on the um, foundation of of the apostles and prophets. So Peter being an apostle, the uh, house is being built upon him and his fellow apostles. But it's what they are doing, it's what they are writing in these letters that they write, is Jesus Christ himself interpreting the work of Christ. In the Old Covenant, through the prophets, Jesus Christ himself prophesied what he would do. And now through the apostles, he interprets his work that he did upon the earth. So Peter, through Jesus Christ, is interpreting what Jesus did. All right, now, this letter was written in your notes to the dispersion, dispersion, diaspora, dispersion now I take this to believe to be and there's a variety of opinions on this I don't think any scripture was written after AD 70 so I don't believe this would be the dispersion caused by the Roman armies coming upon uh, Jerusalem I believe it would have to be the dispersion uh, from that we looked at last week in Isaiah 66, 19 through 21. 
If you want to look at that, I will read that to you. <clears throat> yep, we're back in Isaiah, y'all. <clears throat> Sixty-six, nineteen through 21 reads and I will set a sign among them and from them I will send survivors to the nations to Tarshish, Pool and Lud and draw the bow to Tual and Javan to the coastlands far away that they have that have not heard my fame or seen my glory and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and on chariots and in litters and on mules and dromedaries. My holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offerings in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. So I believe these were Jews that did not return to the land when their exile was up, they stayed dispersed. And, of course, Gentiles are included in this letter, too, if you read through it. It's obvious, therefore, that it was written to both Jews and Gentiles. Dispersed Jews and to Gentiles. And like I said, I think the letter was written before A.D. 70. So, <clears throat> I believe it was written around 64, 63 or 64 A.D. Written in 63 or 64 A.D. to disperse Jews and to Gentiles. A mixed audience. All right, that's going to be the extent today. We will be going to verse 2 next week. And we still may only get through verse 2 next week because, like I said, there's a lot in these first two verses. Okay, any comments on anything today? What's the last blank? This mm. letter was written to the aspirants? Um, to the dispersion? Dispersion. Which would be modern Turkey. Basically modern Turkey. Anything else? All right, Kim, will you close us in prayer, please? <clears throat>